Hello again and welcome to another episode of our podcast. This is the podcast that complements our two quarterly lifestyle magazines. Hello Sunshine Magazine and In Noosa Magazine. The autumn editions of uh, both of those magazines are on the streets of the Sunshine Coast now. I really enjoyed talking uh, to our guest on this episode of our podcast, Everyone Has a Story. He grew up in a large immigrant family in the rough and tough western suburbs of Melbourne. And his first jobs in kitchens were an escape of sorts from the tight reins his dad held over the seven kids in the family. He's prepared food for Formula One driver Michael Schumacher. He recalls the early days of Chaconis in Melbourne's Crown Casino, when the Pollies would be seated on one side of the restaurant, the local mafia on the other. Everyone has a story, and today I'd like you to meet executive chef of Bocca Italian restaurant, Harry Lalay. The, the best thing about coming here is, and, and I think this is a new... At Bocca. At Bocca. Yeah. Is the show, is the theatre of, of sitting up there on the bench. Well, that's why I designed it that way, too. So. Well, tell, well, tell me about that. Because, you know, years ago, the kitchen was hidden. Yeah. No one wanted to see what was going on in the kitchen. But I've been here a few times now. And the way that it, it runs, it's like a performance. Well, I love the, I, I love the interaction with, with people. That's, that's what... That's what drives me, you know, and, and seeing responses from customers and guests is, is what it's all about, you know. For me, yeah. you know, just to see that, and, you know, make sort of smiles, you know, it's that real, it's that real Italian thing for me, yeah. you know, it's feeding somebody and seeing that pleasure of, 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 of making sure that's right. Yeah. And that's why I built the open kitchen and that's what I love about it, you know. And, you know, I think having the confidence to see people to see you, yeah. Let's talk about that because I imagine not. I mean, I've been here a few times, and every I love sitting up there because it is like a performance. Everything, uh, it, there's a degree of chaos, but at the same time, everything's running super smooth. But I can imagine that not all kitchens would run. <laughs> how do you? How do you? Uh, you know, that that would be the danger or the challenge of having a chaotic. But this one's not chaotic. I mean, it's years of bloody experience as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's what it comes down to, you know. I mean, I'm pretty confident in what I do, and you know, over the years now, and you know, it's been 30 years plus in kitchens and running different types of businesses and um, different kitchens. So that you know, it's, it, open kitchen gives you the freedom to to show what you do and calms you down. It calms you down as well. You know, closed kitchens back in the day was this chaotic. Yeah. Yeah, bloody madhouses. You know? they're just crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so part of what part of what you're saying is because you're on show, people are aware that they can. You know, yeah. every, every, there's a karma. Yeah, there there is. You know, yeah. and and I, I want to. You know, that that passion. I want to. You know, that's what I want to show people. You know, that that the love of, of food and what we do and how 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 we do it. You know, and open kitchens show that, and people are amazed by it. And yeah. The organisation and how it runs, and you know, and you know, you know, we're head chefs or you know, exec chefs, you know, just not cook, but organisation and you know, communication and talking, and it's, you know, sometimes it looks a bit overwhelming sitting from the outside, but it's just you know, organised chaos. Well, if you don't really, I mean, if that's not your career or that's not your game, there's no real sense of 
it is like watching a performance. When I watch a, if you watch a show on Broadway or something, you go, how do they do that? That's right. I guess that's the sense of well, you know, I mean, it's managed and it's directed, and it's, yeah. you know, it, you know, if yeah. you're talking about the arts like that, you know, it's got to be directed, you know, yeah. and it's all, it's all, it's almost the same in the kitchen. You know, you, you're directing it. It's like an orchestra as well. You know, if you if you think about music and you know, yeah. you think, you know, if you're organising a band, you know, you. you it's bringing the whole band together. Yeah. And there's no difference. It's a team, it's a team, it's a team playing. Yeah. How many are there? Six? From memory? Four, six? Um, How many people? Yeah. One, two, three. I usually have three on the, three on the hotline. I have one in Lardo. I have three on, three down in the, um, on the pizza. And the most important, I have a couple kitchen hands, you know, um, and, you know, a lot of people forget about the kitchen hands. They're their backbone. And when I designed the kitchen, actually, I designed it from from the back of house and from the from the wash up area, um, and now the wash up area is is your your engine really. It just keeps you know that keeps the the flow of of the kitchen. The pans keep coming back. The you know the plates are being washed. You know the organisation and you know the trays and you know things that chefs just you know take for granted and just grab and you know I need another tray, you know, and don't have to wash it. And, yeah. So that that's really that was really important when I designed that kitchen, and, yeah. and now it it, it's, it it works really well. It flows beautifully, and you know that's 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 a beautiful thing about this this kitchen. Yeah. Well, it, well, it is one of the the attractions of Boca is is seeing that, and I can't actually I can't think of any other place that has an open kitchen like well, here on Market the coast. Well, Market Bistro has the open kitchen. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's were you know, involved the, in designing that one too? No, um, Tony was designed that that one. I come in a little bit later, um, but I love the whole concept of, of that open kitchens yeah. and you know um, and it, it started back in when I open kitchen my first big open kitchen was Shikoni days at Crown Casino and that was amazing you know it was a it was a beautiful big restaurant you know um, big open kitchen and you know it, it, it was a game player yeah, it was a game changer of the yeah. whole, whole whole industry yeah so that taught me a lot, you know, um, and being a young chef and coming from that sort of fine dining areas and that fine dining food and, you know, and then going into a, a, a 200 plus seater, which was totally different. It was different. a big restaurant in the middle of a, of a casino. Absolutely. Yeah, and it was the biggest one I ever took on. Yeah. And, you know, I've been working in, you know, dining rooms that were seating 80 and, you know, 60s. And, you know, you know, doing 120 people was a massive, massive night, which you only do once a week or, or Saturday night, which was exhausting. Yeah. Um, and then ended up doing, you know, where, where you do 350 to 400 on a, on a, on a, on a Saturday or on a Friday and a you know, Wednesday night and then all of a sudden it's you know, six to seven days a week you're doing these numbers and so it's a, just a totally different ball game and totally different way of writing menus. I want to go back about your ancestry now, Italian. Okay. Uh, what, what part of Italy? Well, mum, mum's um, Calabrese. Yeah, so they're from the south. Dad's actually Albanian, and that's where the Lule name comes from. Right. You know, um, so mum and dad hooked up here in Australia, arranged marriage. You know? So, um, but we were more of a Italian family. You know, 
nobody really spoke Albanian, you know, and Dad spoke fluent Italian, and, you know, Mum had, you know, her, her brothers and sisters here, so all my uncles and the whole family was really Italian-leaning. So the heritage of the Albanian side didn't really come out until later, until I was a bit more older and just a bit more curious of what Albania was all about. But it was more Italian. We spoke Italian. We ate Italian food. We did all the Italian stuff, you know. Making the, making the sauces, making the prosciuttos, making sausages, you know, homemade wine, growing heaps of veggies, you know. Yeah. And mind you, this is in this is in western suburbs of Melbourne, you know, in the back, you know, in the back back streets of you know, Newport and Williamstown area, you know, um, which was really great. You know, it was it was a great childhood. Lots of culture around around us. Next door neighbours were you know Yugoslavians. There were there were there were Croatians down the road. There was Greeks. There was Lebanese around the corner. So this this multicultural, yeah. you know. Do you remember though being in the kitchen early on? Because I, I I'm, I'm we're about the same age. Yes. I have uh, yeah. Mum was born here, Sicilian background. Dad came out in '52 from Sicily. Yeah. The thing with Italian parents is uh, you know they want to do everything for you. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of leave you hanging a little bit. Uh, uh, and I never. And I think my sister was the same. Yeah. We were never really privy to what mum was doing in the kitchen. Well, I was because I was. I mean, I'm, I, I was the youngest of seven. So my, I got, I got three older brothers, and three older sisters. Now, being the youngest, and I'm talking, there's, there's a, my oldest brother is, there's twelve years difference. You know, 10, 10 to twelve year difference. So if there was any work that had to be done outside, like any gardening or any building that dad would right. do or anything like that, you know, there was no room for me. So I was shoved, I'd go, go, to, yeah. go to your mum. And with such a large family, everybody had to pull their weight, I suppose. We were only a family of four. But uh, without even realising, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm stuffing cannellonis, rolling, rolling corpettes and, yeah. you know, um, you know, just doing things like that, grating cheese and, you know, yeah. um, just little things that... I actually didn't really like doing, but they were a chore. <laughs> That's right. It was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather sort of just do nothing, you know, get on my bike, get on my push yeah, bike, yeah, and go yeah. for a ride, you know. Um, but it had to be done, you know. So and talk about that moment when you thought, well, I'm, I might do this as a profession. I might do this as a career. And what led you down that path? Well, I fell into this business. I, I, I felt this. I fell into cooking. It, 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 it came to me really, and I never thought of it as a job. When I when I when I finally got a a, a job as as a as, as a cook or as a chef and I got into the kitchen, it was easy. It was so easy. And I thought this is not work. This is this is. And what's that saying about if you enjoy what you do, then you'll never work a day? Is yeah. That what yeah. But it was never chased. It was never thought about. You know, I, I thought working was you know laboring and you know mechanics physical and, hard physical yeah work. but, but, but working in the kitchen is physical it's it's tough isn't it yeah but it's different it's you know it's it was fun it was you know it was crazy yeah. it was you know you could be yourself you know you, you wouldn't describe it as grueling because I, I spoke i speak to a lot of chefs and they say you know that's it wasn't for me that apprenticeship that those years of the apprentice that they're tough yeah but I, I couldn't wait to get up you had a different i couldn't wait to, to i couldn't wait to get back in you know yeah. You know, what was driving you? Why? Why was that? What were you keen to do? It was fun. Yeah. It, I, I think too. It, it got me out of home. It got me out of the out of out of that 
I was allowed to be out because we were quite strict. Dad was quite strict. So, you know, kept a good rein on us. You know, seven kids, you've got to remember. And growing up in the Western suburbs, it's pretty rough and ready and you got to be careful. And, you know, you're not mixing with the wrong crowds and, you know, yeah. just... So they kept a whole a good rain. But on this us. was your escape because you had a reason to be out. Absolutely. Two o'clock in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> it was like, yeah. Where, where were you? I, no, I, I, I just, I was, I was just working. I get that, and it kind of makes sense now. And this was your, this was your escape. You, you went, you worked Absolutely. in the kitchen. You, there was a social element to that as well. And 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 it was a big social element. You know, we're all at the same age. We're all sort of growing up together, and and still to this day, I remember going through the apprenticeship. You know, at Menzies at Rialto, when I when I did the whole four years, it was a five star hotel in the, in the central Melbourne, down down King Street end. So after work, we'd go down to King Street and go to the nightclubs, and you know, and you know, I, there was a scene with the hospitality. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the hotel um, provided a, um, a you know a, a taxi fare, you know, the, a um, cab charge, you know, yeah. that you yeah. could get if you worked over you know ten o'clock or ten thirty, and yeah. and being a junior, you could get that. So I'd, I'd scam that, you know, I go, you beauty, well, I'm just going to work back a you know half an hour and go up to the head office and yeah. get this get yeah. this, so I wouldn't have to pay to get home. Yeah. So I've got this, you know, got this cab charge. So I spent spend all my money on the booze. <laughs> and was, 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 I, re- I remember when Ciccone opened. It was 1997. I was in Melbourne and Crown opened. Lots of uh, That's fireworks, right. etc. Was that the move after the Rialto? Did you go Oh, there? no, no, no. no. So Rialto, Rialto was, a, was my apprenticeship. Right. Um, so that was 86 to 89. Oh, before. Yeah. And then by that time, I, I, I sort of I got in with... Um, with the so-called Brit Pack that come into Melbourne, that was Ian Curley, Gary Jones, um, Steve Zabo. They were they, they were sort of leaning chefs. You know, um, Raymond Capaldi had come into 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 town, and they were working through the hotels. And they were, you know, then Michael Lambie and all them sort of boys come in. And they and they they did a big movement of, of, of the Melbourne food scene. So I was in close with them, and you know, um, working working in and among among them. You know, talk and to me about that move. What in, in what way? How did they change that scene? Well, I think I think the London scene, and you know, they, they, were, they were boys that were coming coming out of you know Marco Pierre White's kitchens and um, uh, you know, the Rue Brothers. You know, classic, and they were sort of classically trained. Um, but had a really nice flair and modernising their, their classical training, uh, classical um, movement in food, but still had the discipline of the old school way, which was a little bit rough and ready, and you had to be quite ready for it. And it, and it was a bit of an eye-opener for a lot, of, a lot of young chefs that couldn't handle it, you know. Um, it was pretty tough, a lot of swearing, a lot of carrying on, you know what I mean? Really hard discipline sort of kitchens. Um, but the food was fantastic, and yeah. I got a, I, I, I found that easy because you know, growing up in Newport and Williamstown and the Western suburbs and being streetwise, and being a little bit tough in a sense, you know, it was easy for me. I didn't find it, I didn't find it offensive, you yeah. know, and I didn't find it threatening. I just found it well. You, you can tell them to fuck off, and you can tell them, you know, what I mean. You can be yourself. Yeah. And, and I was quite dominant anyway. I had a big personality coming from a big Italian family. It had to be loud. Had to be had to be full on. So I was like that anyway. I had that personality already. It's about perception, isn't it? I remember you know in Melbourne uh, for me it was one of my first Metro radio gigs yeah. in the '90s, and it was tough. Now retrospectively, I speak to a lot of people now about those days. Now some of the older people 
when I got there, they said, oh, they, they were terrible days. They, they were, you know, there was this bullying. It was, but I guess for me, and, and kind of just trying to relate to what you're saying, if you know no better, you go, oh, that's just the way it was. I just thought that's the pressure of a metro city. Absolutely. And so you don't actually you know, get a bit of skin off the knee, but it doesn't really, you just get up again. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it depends I've, what you're used to. And what you're saying is, is growing up in the western suburbs and you just you just rolled at the punches. Absolutely. <laughs> there was, all, there, I mate, there was worse people than I was. I thought I was doing all right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at it. I, I saw a lot of friends that got in big trouble and yeah. got in, you know, got got themselves in, in a big mess. You know, and I just thought, well, you know, being in a kitchen and being yourself and you know, um, having that. Ba- I, I like the battles. I like you know, moving. You know, to, to get to a new section, you have to fight for it. Uh, Tell me about that. What do you mean by to, to the battles to move to a new section? What does that mean? Well, you've got to keep progress in the kitchen. Yeah, you've got a yeah. kitchen brigade, you know. Okay. Um, so the brigade, it's, you know, you, you earn your stripes. And, you know, you, you if you're on the veg section, you want to get on the fish section, right? You know, you've got to do your dues on the veg section. How do you get on your fish section? Well, you know, there's many ways of doing it. I did it really sneakily. Yeah, and I did, How I, did you do it? Well, you know, I mean, I made sure, you know, I made sure that, you know, which was pretty nasty, I suppose, but, you know, if if a fish was overcooked or if the chef was overcooked, I made sure that they, you know, the, the, the head chef or that they knew that it was overcooked, you know, and and I, I tried to get that um, chef to party's position, <laughs> which was, but that's the only way to get through. Otherwise, you just sit back, and if you didn't, you know, if you didn't fight for it, you wouldn't yeah. move. You yeah. wouldn't. You just get stuck on the veg section. But that's not that. unique to you know. You have to be ruthless <coughs> in certain areas, in certain careers. I think. I think in all careers, progress. you know what I mean. If you look at it, you know, in any career, you know, if you want to move up, you sort of have to, I don't know, almost dog the other person, but sort of not, 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 not in a mean way. Not in a mean way. Yeah, but just you know, if you strives to be better. But yeah. I'm gonna be. I want to be better than you. How do I be better? Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna cook better. Yeah. You know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna cook that fish perfect. You know. What am I gonna? That's it. That's gonna be seasoned right. You know. Yeah. And I tasted it. And I knew food. I, I knew how to eat. I loved food. I loved yeah. to eat. So was it? If, if it wasn't flavour, it was like how do I get more flavour? You know, seasoning more salt. You know what I mean? Fresher herbs. Bits and so it was all this sort of stuff that I probably grew up with because I had a big palate already of great food always being on the table yep. without even realising it. You know. Um, what, what, what do you strive for in the kitchen? Like even now, in, in terms of purpose or the, the end goal, you talk to, about this palate, this, these flavours. What's what's the? I goal? think I think the, I think what I'm trying to do now is do consistent food and teaching them younger chefs the appreciation of it you know um, and developing their palates I find a lot of young chefs don't taste enough they don't you know I, I see them just doing things every day the same dish but they're not tasting everyone I tasted everything I, 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 I cooked because I thought if it's good to me hopefully it's good to somebody else and if that, that if people don't appreciate it and they slag me for it it hurts it, you know you sort of go oh maybe my palate and then you start questioning yourself maybe my palate isn't right quite quite refined enough or not quite there you know so you go back and you check it you take that criticism and then you then you, you have this constant battle within yourself and nobody else and this is what I'm trying to teach teach the younger ones you know it, even though I'm doing the food and so they're creating the dishes they're cooking 
they're cooking them dishes, but there's still their touch into it. So it's their final touch. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot, you know, change that final touch. You know, I'll, I'll criticise it and send it back, or go, yeah, under season, not enough oil, not this. You know, just little things just to keep on them, and that's constant every day. Some chefs take it as an insult and get pissed off, and they walk away from it. Some just take it on board and and, and grow from it, and that's what I do. That's what that's what that's what I do. Make them grow to their own palates and let them let them do what they want to do. And, yeah. I, I, and that to me, that's that's teaching. So that that's what I try to do. Yeah. You know? Well, it comes back to the, the level of the standard about you know the standard that you have in terms of your expectation of where the others in your kitchen or under your stewardship should be, I suppose. Absolutely, and my expectations. My, my, I've, you know, I've always strived, you know, I'm 55 years old, I'm still, I'm still, push, I'm still striving. For what, I don't really know, you know. Oh, well, I was going to ask you, what gets you out of bed? What's your purpose? I know you talked about training, so you get, a, you know, you get a kick out of kind of leading a new team. But, yeah. But what, what else is it about, you know, showing up and leading that team I don't have an answer for that. I don't really know what, what, keep, what keeps you going. Well, clearly you, st- you still love it. I mean, oh, the, the, the thread from when you started is that, you know... I still get excited over, over products. I still, you know what yeah. I mean? I, you know, a great piece of fish comes in. I get excited. I get, oh, man, what can I do with that? I can't believe it, yeah. you know? Um, and new products, new methods. And I love, you know, having younger chefs come in and, and show me a new method of, of, of cookery, you know, that I haven't probably seen, you know? Um, you know, new technique. Yeah, I go, well, that that really works. Some of it I don't like. Some of it I do like. You know, and, it, and so there's always something to learn. And it's still learn. I'm still learning. Yeah. It's 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 amazing. Every day is a new learning curve. And it's not just now. Now it's a little bit different because it's it's not, it's it's business. It's it's you know concepts. It's about you know looking out of what what can be done with on the coast. And you know what I mean. It's a br- a broader. It's a broader aspect of, of, of hospitality now that I look at, you know. Can I get your comparison? So having been, you know, grown up in, in the Western suburbs of Melbourne, worked at a you know, high level in, in Melbourne with the chefs, with the, the English yeah. chefs that you mentioned, and now you're here on the Sunshine Coast, um, I, you know, I, 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 I'm a foodie, I love food. Yeah. I think we've got it really good here. Absolutely. I, uh, when I first I think got the level of food here is incredible. It's it 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 is it has gone crazy in the la- in the what it, since I've moved and I've been here Which now. How long ago? It's five years now. Yeah. So five to you know, just on six years. So I think Queensland in itself and Brisbane Brisbane was an eye opener for me. And I in I, what way? Well, I didn't think the level was going to be there. And when I got here, it 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 was it was great. It still needed a lot of work. It still wasn't on the levels of what you know Sydney or Melbourne were doing, and just they were probably just a touch ahead. But I think they've they've overtaken. Now Sunshine Coast is is this gone crazy over the last? What do you put that down to? Why is that? I think I think the in, influx of of Victorians. No, no, not just Victorians, but you know what I mean. There is a, a, a the population is moving. Yeah. across the border and I think the opportunities I think Tony Kelly's done a great job up, up here you know what I mean he's been a big mover and a shaker I think he understands the um, the market really well you know getting on board like bringing myself and Luke and you know and just you know that that hospitality um, experience and you know 
going back to striving of what we do, you know, the professionalism and yeah. trying to do something, you're a, yeah. a great product. Talk to me about working with Tony. I mean, I've had Tony on the podcast as well. And Tony is, I know he's back as a chef, yeah. but he, the one thing that came up was he's a real numbers man. He's a whiteboard man. For sure. comes in, what comes out. So how do you correlate, you know, he, him leading this group and you, your relationship? Tony has an underlying, a- uh, still has an underlining as a chef and has a passion for perfection. Yeah, all he's done is move that into numbers. Yeah. We, like myself and other chefs, it's still got that f- that we give him the food side of things. Yeah. With the numbers, the yeah. challenge is getting the numbers to him. Yeah, plus the food side of things. So we're getting our satisfaction with the, with the, with the, with the, with the food. He's getting a taste of that, but he's getting the numbers as well. So there's this sort of marriage that works really well. You know? um, but it's the same stride. Yeah. Yes, it's numbers, it's business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think with experience, you sort of know that anyway. That's, a, that's an underlining you know, yeah. um, goal. Yeah. And the way he runs his group compared to say other people is all you guys are stakeholders in the in the business. I think that's you and Luke and, and that right. makes a massive difference. Absolutely. You know, the model runs. Look, and you know, business partners are, are difficult. And I've been through business partnership and they've been ugly and you know so you know, you learn from them you learn from them. I think Tony's very reasonable, very open, um, and and this is why I've come on board with with, with them, um, and I I feel I think we all feel safe with each other. That's that's what that's what you know. We've all got each other's back. We don't we're not here to sort of yeah. It's, it's you know, a collaborative model. I've spoken to other people that own a couple of restaurants, and and they pit each other against like sibling rivals. Yeah. But whereas Tony looks at the group as more of a um, well, we need each other. They all support each other. We yeah. need each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, whatever our strong points are is what we do and what we focus on on in in on. Yeah. So you know, Tony's great with numbers. So why why interfere on him? You know, yeah. Yeah. we question. Yes. Yeah. As yeah. business partners do, as he would question me, or I'd question Luke for front of house details and back and forwards, and it's just yeah. it's just a questionnaire of 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 no, but giving that feedback and sending everybody back out to fix their problems on their own accord, on their own experience. Yeah. This is what I need from that front of house. This is what numbers I need, you know, back to, 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 to Tony, to me, you know, this is the food I need, you know what I mean? These are the, the, the products that I need to do this, you know, um, uh, the equipment that I need, you yeah. know, to, to produce what we gonna do. So this is Collaborative, right, yeah, 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 and it works, and it, it's a balance, yeah, you know, and yeah. it works quite nicely. No one's fighting or pushing against each other, and everybody understands the business model. Absolutely, and, and what you know, where, where the bottom line is, and because we're very open, Tony's very open to that. You know, you know um, constant meetings, you know, looking at numbers, seeing reports, you know, information, you know, gives everybody that gives everybody that that feel. Yeah. Uh, we've got a lot of talk to talk about. I, um, I do want to talk about because you, you reminded me a little while ago when we first met. I think about your Chicone days and Polly's yeah. on one side and the Melbourne <laughs> Mafia on the other. We might touch on before we get down the pizzas. What, what was the, those days like? I remember where, like I said, when Crown opened in uh, Casino in Melbourne in '97. It was a, it was a big event, absolutely. And, and that place every night of the week, especially on weekends, was just pumping. It was crazy. It, 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 
so we took over, the Bordelotto family took over over Shikoni's um, about a year into it. Right. So Crown had owned Shikoni's, it was part of their restaurants. Yeah. So there was a couple of independents um, and it wasn't going too well for them. I don't think it was making as much money as they thought it was going to do. I think that the, you know, there was no sort of rural Italian a, a, um, um, a touch to it. It had the name, so they approached the Bordelotto family, which were a renowned Italian family, hospitality family, Olympia Bordelotto, they had Bordelotto's in, in yeah. St Kilda. Um, they approached her to run the business with the family. And I just, I'd come on board with Olympia. Olympia tried to get me to go to St Kilda, but I said no, because she had the Bordelotto name on there. And I was sort of still growing as a chef, and I wanted to have that a yeah, little bit of independence, you know. So Olympia approached up, approached me, and we both went in there, you know, and took over this Shikonis, and it just went like a bullet, you know. And it was at that time of, you know, where, you know, the I can't the, remember the, that show that was on. Uh, yeah, it was Underbelly. Underbelly, <laughs> and that was all. That was all that time, you know, and yeah. and Crown was, you know as you probably heard, some laundering money and all that sort of stuff going on through the, through the casino. Just typical casino stuff that, you know, happens, yeah, you know, yeah. that you hear stories of and it's real, you know, it's actually real and you see that, you know, and it was a, it was an amazing restaurant. We were doing some really great food. It was, it got to, you know, two hats in the, um, in, in, yeah. in the age food guide. It was one of the best restaurants in, 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 um, in Melbourne at the time. Great position, you know, beautiful fit out. Tony, Tony Chi from New York did the fit out. Yeah, I remember yeah. spending 10 years it's there. It's like all an open plan. Oh, it's just, across you know, the, uh, 10 years I, I, I was there. And every day, 10 years? I was there 10 wow. years, yeah, 10 years. So I know every day I walk in that place and I just, it always took my breath away. Yeah. Or every day that, it just, there was something magic about that fit out. It just felt right. You yeah. know, everything was just perfect about it. And and it, I think it still works really well now, even with the Rockpool. I think Rockpool has that now, you know. Um, they've built a um, another restaurant in front of that, which I think has taken away a little bit of the bit of the feel. But as I, as I told you, you know, I remember sitting there one day and there's, you know, 300 people and you have, you know, politicians down one side, you have the public, you're down the middle and then you've got all the gangsters on the other side and it was just, it was a, it was a great restaurant, you know, lots of, lots of money, lots of tips, um, you know, Grand Prix was wild for us. You know, racing carnival. You know, we yeah. had the hoo hoos. There was a real excitement. I mean, I won't elaborate, but I was, I was on radio and I was also working at Goldfingers at the time. When you could I... <laughs> and so I, I remember that vibe at that time. And you'd finish at two or three in the morning, and you'd go to somewhere like Chicanis, and there was a great excitement. And I know exactly what you're talking about. On Grand Prix weekend, the the city was pumping, oh, wasn't it? Amazing, absolutely the, um, amazing. You know, Fitzroy Street, Albert Pike. There was just so many people around. Grand Final weekend. It's so many, yeah, tennis, and you know, yeah, band, yeah, you know yeah. and then having like, you know, I remember, you know, cooking for a Schumacher. You know? Did you? Absolutely. <laughs> and he took the and he took the whole bulk. He took the whole um, terrace by yeah, himself, yeah, yeah. smoking a cigar, eating a five hundred gram piece of meat. Because yeah. he just finished a race and won a Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. But there's Michael Schumacher, Clint, um, Bill Clinton. Did he? Yeah, it's I mean, whole full full security yeah, of Bill yeah, Clinton. Yeah. You know, it's just 
Oh yeah, amazing. Just stuff like that. Amazing days. Don't worry, yeah. younger days, Harry. Um, uh, I've got to write. I'm going to write an article uh, in the autumn issue about pizza. Oh yeah. So we've got the recipe which will be in the magazine. Yeah. But what's your ingredient? So, so that that recipe there is just a very basic recipe for you know more, I, I wrote that for more like a family like a home. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I did. You know, our, our one's a little bit more complicated here. You know, we do a big, bigger ferment, you know, yeah. a slower ferment. We mix two different types of um, double O flowers, uh, uh, um, um, O flowers, um, which have higher and lower proteins in, in the actual flour, which gives it more gluten and more, 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 more holistic. You know, um, Elasticity. You know, to, yeah, to yeah, stretch yeah, yeah, and you know, um, but still has a, a, a nice chew on it, and you know, so you're almost playing with a live bread, and that's what that's what a pizza pizza base is, you know, and it's an ongoing affair because it, it changes as humidity, yeah. um, you know, heat, coldness, salt, everything changes, yeah. you know. Um, you have a basic recipe, but it's a really fill thing, you know. I don't spend a, a, a lot of time over there. I have great pizza chefs that come in that, that are experts in that field, you know, and I leave that to I leave that to them. I have a basic idea of what I want and how I want things. Again, put, giving them the tools to do that and giving them uh, constructive criticism of what I'm looking for and what I think a great pizza is. Again, leading back to what I was saying before about you know my personal, t- you know, um, palate, and you know if it's good for me, it should be good for the others, and mm-hmm. believing in that, you know, might sound a little bit arrogant, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's you know it's what I believe in, and it's, and it's got me through these these years. The pizza dough itself, you know, it, we use a Moretti oven, yeah, um, which is electric. Um, now there's a there's electric. It's electric. Yeah, so it's a stone base, electric. I don't use wood. Wood, wood side of things is more of a Naples style. Um, uh, high, Naples pizza is a very more hydra- more hydrated in water. Um, quicker cooking, you know, 90 seconds. Um, they're done, they come out really puffy, light, crisp, um, but lose a lot of, lot of um, uh, um, uh, I don't know, crispiness very quickly coming in and out of the ovens but very popular um, Roman is a lot thinner slower cooked more electric ovens um, and crispier and stay crispier when you cut them so I've gone right in between the two two ways of, of doing um, that pizza base and I started playing around with that because I did a bit of work with Johnny D Francisco at 400 Grady and I opened up um, a couple of restaurants with him. So I was looking at the pizza side of it, and he's very traditional in Naples. And I saw a lot of flaws in them, but I also saw a lot of good in that. And then I took over another place uh, for the Lucas Group uh, called Baby, and um, they were using an electric oven. And there's another place in, in Melbourne, DOC, which I really loved his pizza, Tony. Um, and. I really enjoyed his pizza, and he was that sort of blend of, of, of that. So that's where that influence coming off. I thought, yeah, that's the pizza I really like, and that's what I wanted to do. So I started to play with that at Baby, and I changed the recipe there, and I changed the method of cooking, and, um, and I got the pizza boys to do that for me. A little bit of reluctant, 
you know, from the pizza chefs, you know, they they, they sort of set in their own ways and like to do what they what they do. But you know, with with a bit of persuasion, and, yeah, yeah. And what's a tip for someone trying the with the ingredients that we'll put in the magazine? Like time. It, it's all time. What do you mean by that? Um, let the ferment do what it does. You know, don't play with it too much. Don't need to overwork your dough. You know, let the fer- let the fermentation do the dough. Uh, let the fermentation develop the dough. Um, so the one that I wrote is basically you could do that within a day. I think I think an overnight is is perfect. So if you make it say you know late afternoon and you want to have it for lunch the next day then do do that um but just let the dough and all hand all hand pulled you don't want to use a rolling pin or anything like that you know you've got to leave the air into it into into the pizza 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 dough itself Harry Lalay was uh, my guest on today's episode of Everyone Has a Story. If you enjoyed the podcast or today's episode, please feel free to share it about on your social media networks. Until next time, take care.